I want to talk to you this morning about keeping spiritually fresh. And uh, it's, it's really hard enough to connect with people in a relationship that we see, that we encounter, that we exchange word with, words with that are in our physical presence, much more than a, with a being, God, whom we do not see. We have a sense of words that we get from text, and sometimes we have this sense of some nuance, something, impression that sometimes comes to us as words. But it's a challenge. I remember standing with, uh, in front of a, a gentleman who had been in pastoral care for about 14 years. His life was falling apart. His marriage was on the rocks. He was having trouble with the church. And I w- he was just bearing his soul to me and saying to me, he said, I, I just, I'm as burnt out as I, I just can't imagine being more burnt out than this. I have no passion for life. And we were talking. And I said, well, when was the last time that you would say to me, you had a kind of a beautiful encounter with the person of God? Just as a human being, not as a pastor trying to get messages together, trying to be you know, ready to talk to people, but just as a person, a human being. He thought for a moment, and then he said, oh, he said, probably right before I started pastoring 14 years ago. And I remember how that hit me, and I said to him, I said, listen, that's where we want to go first. We want to have a reconnection. And I remember from that thinking to myself, I, I sort of made a goal in my life that, the, the, that I wanted to have a sense that the closest I've been to God has been sometime within the last year. That somehow I can look back and say, yeah, I've, I've been close. And not that you don't want to encourage a, a robust kind of relationship, but it doesn't always there. I mean, sometimes you're just moving and being faithful to God with memories of how he's been with you in the past. And so it isn't always that, you know, faith is always a baboon any more than your marriage. You know, sometimes you have heights and depths or friendships. Sometimes you're closer and further. It's just the human nature, right, of how we drift. Our hearts are prone to wander, right? So, so anyway, the, the, this idea of staying close to God, this idea of when was the last that you can remember where you had this sense that God was more real to you than maybe others around you, that this sense of you, of awe that is engendered. You know, when you see uh, Moses coming up to the burning bush and there's some sense that something other is going on, a sense of transcendence, a sense of awe, a sense of I'm not in control, that I'm a creature, that God is not the creature. There's those places, I think, that we should contend for and fight for. Uh, Acts calls it seasons of refreshing. And so I want to talk to you about that. I, and there's, um, I have a couple of tricks, three tricks, or maybe they're not tricks. They're just things to try, <laughs> right, <laughs> that may keep you uh, fresh or help you to keep fresh spiritually. And the number, these are not deep theological ideas. They're just, I think, helpful thoughts. And the first one is just deal with all the bad stuff you do. It doesn't mean you have to not do bad stuff. It's just if you do bad stuff, be honest about it. I'm bad. Right? I need I need to come to God and 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 be aware of it. If you and I were in a tiff over something, and there was some way in which you felt I offended you, or there was some way in which you I felt you offended me, we probably would kind of avoid each other until we addressed it. Whether it would be if we were around here at church, or if we we're at the mall, you know, I caught you, you caught me in your eye, you know, you might just kind of go to start. Just because we don't orient very well to relationship and 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 robust certainly relationship if there's something between us. 
if there's something that has been violated. The, the issue is, is if you don't confess, simply own up to your stupid, you won't ever really be able to come to God with very much freedom. So you need to get it out. There's a, a, the good news about this is that God's totally okay with you not being good. I mean, he kind of gets that you're not that good. Right? So this is a, a psalm, Psalm 103. It's so beautiful. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in this love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Hoorah, right? Or, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. In other words, his love is higher than anything we do on earth. There's nothing that we do here that ever will supersede the depth of his love for us. Too high. He, he, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. In some ways, you know, you think about the childishness of little kids, you know, they, especially the littler they are. They do stuff that you just kind of shake your head and go, yeah, <laughs> they're two, <laughs> right? Or they're one. They just don't get it. On some level, even though we're not two or one, God gets that we're human. And God gets that there's these kind of things he's calling us to that we won't always hit. What he really wants us to do is just turn to him when we do that and let him begin to work in us strength that helps us to be better humans and more connected and more faithful. But even that whole business of being more committed, more faithful isn't human effort. It's the working of God in our hearts by grace. Right? So he's not freaked out about you. Here's one of my favorite Quotes, and you've heard me use it before because I just really like it. It's from J.I. Packer. He says, quote, There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can now, now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself, end quote. You all get it. I mean, there are times when you're doing these, oh, what is wrong with me? What the heck? I was trying to stay focused. I was trying to be fulfilled. I was trying to be appropriate here. And, and then you get angry. You get whatever it is that, that you find yourself, the, the, the sin that does so easily beset you, is how Hebrews puts it. And we sort of get mad at ourselves. But understand that God knows the worst about you. And he's not freaked out about your bad. Uh, Father Lawrence, who I'll mention a little later again, he, Brother Lawrence is his name, actually. He was a, a monk in a monastery back in the 17th century. And they loved, uh, he, he was very popular, very uh, engaged guy, even though he, was a, he worked in the kitchen. People were fascinated by his life. And, um, and they asked him, said, Brother Lawrence, what do you do when you sin? He said, oh, he said, I sin. And he said, what I tell God is, God, this is the best I can do. And unless you help me, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> I just love that. I just love it. Imagine reacting to yourself instead of condemnation and guilt and hitting yourself and thinking, what's wrong with me? Which is so often what we do. That we remember that God knows and remembers we're dust. 
and that his expectations for our own ability to do things is not very high. All he really wants us to do is come to him. This is the beauty of 1 John 1, 9. It's such an amazing verse because it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, if we confess and just stop being bad. If we promise we'll never do it again, if we really feel bad about our stuff, then he might forgive us. No, he just says, oh, you have to confess it. Just confess it. I mean, even if you still want to do it. Say, Lord, I want to do this again and again and again and again, but I'm just confessing it's sin. Would you help me? Would you help me get to the point where I just don't want to do this? I don't want to pretend. Would you help me? Would you do something in me that I can't do in me? This, this is the beauty of faith. It's so cool because I think... It, it's safe to confess our failures to God. Because it's not like you're telling, something, telling him something he doesn't know. It's like you're telling him, you know, God, I've been rebellious. And he goes, what? I didn't see that. Oh, myself. <laughs> God is not surprised by your failure. Um, and his mercy always triumphs over judgment. Judgment is usually about a failure to own. So God basically lets you have what you're persistent to not discuss with him. God only asks that we come and we own it and we confess it. We come to him with our sins. It is safe. And the goal of God is never to shame, never to condemn. We are only welcomed. This is why repentance, which is just simply turning, that's what the word means, doesn't mean beat yourself up for it. Just simply turning a different direction. This is one of the foundations of the Christian faith. And it's, like a, it's almost like a shower. Hopefully some of you shower regularly. <laughs> because it keeps the stink off you. Right? And this, this, is what, this is this confession. It's a good policy to do at least one daily. If you're one who has joined with the Order of St. Anthony, which is a prayer order in our community, and beyond our community, but one of the things that happens is some of us pray, a good part of us pray, uh, the Book of Common Prayer, which is an Anglican uh, prayer book or Episcopalian prayer book. Uh, but one of the prayers in it, and we actually pray it often in our services, you remember it, uh, most merciful God, most merciful God. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I might delight in your will. That was, I want to keep up with you. I don't want to pull back from you, and I want this to be me hiding from you because I saw you at the mall. Right? The delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. That's a slap your mama sweet prayer right there. And it just kind of cleans. It's like a racist slate. You know what I'm talking about? Those racist slate things? No? Etch a sketch. Yeah. Diminishing is beginning. But <laughs> it's been here all my life, actually. Uh, the thing I think about is when our kids were little, and, and there was a while I was better than my kids at video games. They were four-ish. <laughs> and I remember Michael, he was the first one. He started getting really good. He's four years old. And I remember one day he starts beating me on the game. And I'm watching it. I'm panicking. I reach over and push the restart button. 
He looked at me and I said, what are you doing, Dad? I said, oh, we needed to start it over, son. <laughs> That's 1 John 1, 9, baby. <laughs> when things are going bad, the game ain't going right. The demons tremble. <laughs> this ensures peace with God, which means there's nothing between you that hurts. If you want to stay fresh in your spirituality, deal with your stuff. Don't just put right guard over it. If you stink, you stinketh. Own it. Number two, same kind of thing, but in a different direction. If you want to stay fresh with God, you need to forgive others. This is a tougher one. Jesus said offenses will come. That's one verse we usually don't claim. Offenses will come. Jesus warns us about not forgiving, saying that in some way it messes up our ability to receive from God. You're not going to feel fresh if you can't receive from God. Um, Paul warns about it. He actually says if you get offended and you start getting angry, it's okay to get angry because it's human to get angry, but you can't stay angry. You're not supposed to let the sun go down with you staying angry, which means you have to process the anger. But if you let the sun go down, here's what he claims. And it's a, it's a kind of a scary claim. I don't really know what it means, but it's a scary claim. It claims, Paul claims, that if you let the sun go down on your wrath over an incident of, of you being offended, that you will give place to the demonic, a place to the devil in your life. Say, so what does that mean? I don't really know. It doesn't sound very good. I don't think it's a Hollywood weirdness thing, you know, it's what you're spinning heads, throwing up projectile water. I don't think it's that. But I, I think that it's something you don't want to go down that trail, right? Which means you have to deal with your feeling about people. Now, I get it that forgiveness is really hard, especially if you've been legitimately hurt by someone, family member. And, and sometimes it's even harder if the person that you're called to forgive is actually an abusive person. In some way, they are continuing to be hurtful. And there are some people that the only way that you can get near them is if, if, if you have some real clear boundaries because they're too toxic and too mean and it's not safe for you. I call these people the zoo people, right? You know how you go to a zoo? You can get right up to a gorilla, but there's good, safe boundaries between you and the gorilla, right? So if you have a gorilla uncle, Right, and a lioness mother, you're going. You can come right up to it, throw a little meat if you want to. It's safe, but you can't. You've got to have good boundaries. But here's the bottom line: you can't be mad at the lioness. You can't be mad at these people. You've got to ask God to help you, like Jesus on the cross. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Sometimes God just bringing insight. People are, you know, act weird. I was driving down the highway, college student, came over a hill. I break for animals, right? I'm driving over the hill. Here's this cat. And I see the cat. I braked. And, I, and somehow the cat looked up, boink, hit him on the top of the head in my little, just I'm telling you, I'm not happy about this. I'm owning it in front of you. <laughs> I'm not a cat fan. Don't misunderstand me. I know some of you have cats. I don't think they emerged till after the fall of humanity. But the point is, <laughs> I hit this cat, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm thinking, oh, oh my gosh, I pulled over, and I get out, and the cat, I th I'm sure it's dead, but he wasn't dead. He was kind of like doing this. 
kind of feel, looking at me, you know, a little bit of, oh, it's so sad, a little blood. And, and uh, I know it's horrible, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm reporting. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted, I thought, well, maybe I can take it to a vet or something. So I'm coming up to him and he starts going, look at me, he's like, suddenly freaking out, like was demon possessed and, and like freaking out and then shot off into the, into the cornfield. And I'm, t- I mean, it creeped me out. And I, I'm telling a friend of mine next day, um, man, I told him the story, and I said, man, that cat acted so weird. It was like it was a demon cat or something. You know what he said to me? Wounded animals don't act, right? And I heard, and I think it was the Holy Spirit in me saying, neither do wounded people. A lot of times when people offend us, they're not really offending us. They're just wounded by life. And they're all over. And one of the ways that we're called to be the church is by engaging with wounded people. So expect scratches and demonic (laughs) at you. Don't make it about you. And make it about just leaning in and having enough sense of being unoffendable. And a kind of love that can cover a multitude of sins. So that God can use you to bring redemption to hurting lives. Recognize that forgiving, I wish it were just come up to the altar and pray or just, you know, in the service saying, I forgive them, and magically in your heart you feel forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't so much a feeling. I think it has feeling in it, but it isn't so much a feeling as it is a decision. And the idea is, you remember Jesus, they came to Jesus, how many times do we forgive our brother? And up to seven times? I think he was, it's a perfect number, you know, seven times. Jesus, nah, it's more like seven times seven. One version says, another version says, seven, seven times 70, 490 times. It's this idea. And then another uh, uh, um, gospel adds a day. <laughs> well, there's no way that you're going to generally get somebody to do something against you 49 times a day or 490 times a day. But here's what will happen. They'll offend you once, and it'll replay in your mind over and over and over and over. The word forgiveness comes from a Greek word, aphaimi. And what it means is to send it away. What forgiveness is, is that every time an incident of offense comes back to your mind, you send it away. So it's a practice. And you'll get pretty good at it. I mean, you, you may be that somebody really offends you and you're forgiving them 100 times today. And maybe it's tomorrow, you know, it's only going to be 192 times. And then you go in three months and you're down to like five times a day this comes back to you. And then you see the person at the ball, you're back up to 100. But here's the point. Every time it comes, you release it. That's forgiveness. It is not a feeling. It is not a moment. It is a commitment. Corey Ten Boom, this is another one of those quotes that I use a lot just because I really like it. She lives in in the concentration camps under um, the Nazi-Germany deal. Um, she, uh, she saw these horrible, unspeakable acts committed against innocents all around her in the prisons, including her own sister, who was eventually murdered by the Nazis. And here's what she writes. In the concentration camp where I was in prison many years ago, sometimes bitterness and hatred tried to enter my heart when people were so cruel to my sister and me. Then I learned this prayer. It's a thank you based on Romans 5.5. 5. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have brought into my heart the love of God through your Holy Spirit who was given to me. Thank you, Father, that your love in me is victorious over the bitterness in me 
and the cruelty around me. After I prayed it, I experienced the miracle that there was no more room for bitterness in my heart anymore. Will you learn to pray that prayer too? If you're a child of God, you have a great task in your prison. You are the representative of the Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, and He will use you to win others to Christ. You say, I can't. I can't either, but Jesus can. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. If you give room in your life to the Holy Spirit, then He can work through you, making you the salt of the earth and a shining light in your prison, end quote. You will never be able to stay fresh spiritually if you don't forgive. You've got to forgive people. And then lastly, a third way to stay fresh spiritually is I think you have to find the spout where the glory comes out (laughs) for you. The places that when you orient yourself to it, it lifts you. And if you look back on your history, I bet you there's one or two places you go, oh, 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 right there. For my wife, Gail, it's, it's, it's worship, it's singing, where singing becomes more than singing, where it becomes a kind of prayer, and, and she'll get lost. She puts music on during the day. She loves that kind of singing thing. For me, I'm much more oriented to scripture and to thinking and to quiet. So when she turns the music on, I want her to turn it off because we're competing to stay saved. <laughs> For some of you, it's, it's, it's the other book of creation. I mean, the other book of, of God. There are two books of God in the Christian tradition, creation and the Bible. Some of you literally, you go out into every day, or in, you know, out for a walk or out to the mountains, or we're a little bit mountain challenged right here, but just out somewhere that's kind of amazing, and it captures you. Don't fight that. That might be your, you're going for walks or going to the park or going someplace that's quiet might really be the place where you connect with God the most. It's okay. Don't, don't fight that. Many sense the presence of God most in just free pietistic expression, whether it is singing or whether it is praying with open, spontaneous prayers from your heart. I'm a, I'm a, I pray, I'm a tongues prayer. I'm an old Pentecostal, so I'm a closet tongue talker. But, and it's one of the ways it, when I'm preparing things, I'll pray in this funny language that I don't understand. And somehow as I write it, I don't know how to explain it. It's like something buoys up in my, so I do it. I, 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 I do it. Some of you may have encountered contemplative prayer, which is lots of silence. It's sitting in a kind of imagined presence of God. You're using kind of a sanctified imagination. You're right there with God. Sometimes uh, people will encourage you to learn contemplative prayer. You might imagine going sinking into the water, you know, down 50 feet. And somehow you encounter God's presence there. You just focus. Everything's out. Or, Or sometimes I've heard people describe, you know, kind of going down a lazy river in a in an inner tube or something, and all the stuff is on the side, all your cares, all the distractions are on the side, the banks, but you're sort of floating down, focusing, opening up to the presence of God. It's a beautiful kind of expression of prayer. Um, Many of you maybe have understood the joy of doing your work as unto the Lord, capturing kind of a sacred uh, seizing of good work, you know, where you're doing what you do as unto the Lord is kind of a worship. Remember I told you about Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence, the guy who was the kitchen worker in the monastery, who said, this is the best that I can do when it came to sin. <laughs> he said, they were talking about his spirituality, and he, was ta- he, said, he said, I just, I don't like to pray, and I don't like to read the Bible. I, I just like to wash dishes and serve people. 
And he kind of had this expression of worship where he sensed God's presence most when he worked, did good work, washing pots and pans, cleaning the floors. He sensed the smile of God in his life. The Celts, the old Celtic church, which is really the expansion of the church went with the Roman Empire out all the way up into the Great, Great Britain. And then as the empire began to contract, it backed up. And then there were groups that had been touched by the gospel that hadn't been formed by the you know, ongoing historical church. And they formed their own traditions and their ideas. Those Celts that were from uh, the UK now, the UK, United Kingdom, um, those Celtic believers, they, were, they, they thought of spirituality not just being in church and doing what you did in church or in prayer on your knees. They thought that spirituality was about doing your work as though God were right there as worship to God. So they had prayers for walking, prayers for watching dishes, prayers for milking the cow. <laughs> you know, all these prayers. Uh, some of you, it, 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 what if you start seizing the good work that you do, and all of you do good work, unless you're selling drugs to somebody or something, you know, like a, you know, like a heroin or something, and then you're bad. You're, you're going to go to hell, so stop it. Um, <laughs> but if you're like doing good, I mean, even normal little things, like the, every morning, this morning I did this. I have the same basic breakfast. It's either going to be, it's always toast, peanut butter, and sometimes I involve the banana family, and sometimes, you know, but, but basically, and when I do it, I, I take it, and I thank God for it, and I say, God, thank you for all the people involved with this. Thank you for the farmers that, you know, put the weed out in the, in, in the ground and, and harvested this and brought it, and all the people that served to, to make this into bread, and thank you for the peanut butter people, which are really the peanut people right, first. Thank you for those peanut people. Growing the peanuts, pulling them in, crushing them up, making them in the factory, all those, I wonder how many people, how many people are here in my hands, right? And, and, and I think, and I say, thank you for those people that are making my life better. And then I take my coffee. I love my coffee, right? And I thank you for the bean people. And I thank you for all the ways that they got those beans and they harvested them and got them here and then they roasted them and they got them and I got it from the store. Thank you, Mr. Starbucks. And, and, I, and, I, and, and so I do that and I think, this is good work. Some of you, lots of you do good work. Make it a worship. That was my point. And then some of us have been discovering the richness of God's presence by embracing practices of the, of the church. Uh, things like uh, uh, one of the earliest writings that were written is called the Didache. It, it was in the canon, it was in scripture, considered scripture, for the, for the first 100 or 200 years of the church, and then it fell out of disuse. There are reasons for that. But in that Didache, they say, pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. That might be something that you embrace. Say, well, what if I prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day and made it part of a routine of my expression? It's a practice from the ancient world. Uh, some of us use breviaries. Breviaries are called, they're prayer books is what a breviary is. And we have these moments where we're encountering not just, you know, Scripture, and then we have these prayers that are for us, and we read the prayers. Some people don't, can't stand reading written prayers because they feel like it's fake. I get that. If it doesn't float your boat, that's fine. I, the way I deal with it is I think of them like songs. We just sang these songs today, and I was making them my songs, but I didn't write them. Because if I wrote them, they would suck. <laughs> Sometimes, whether you like it or not, your praying sucks. It isn't that God doesn't hear you. It's just not very good. And some of you to listen to you pray. So here's an example. We were talking about dedication. I asked one of you to pray dedication. You'd come up here and say, oh God, thank you God, Father God, that we want to be dedicated, Father God. And we thank you, Father God, the dedication is a good thing, Father God. And we want, we're just very happy that we're here, Father God. And all of us will be going, okay, okay. <laughs> Hurry up. 
But here's a prayer of dedication that's written, that's actually poetic, that's actually nicer than yours. In my humble or not so humble opinion. <laughs> Listen to it. Lord, almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you. So guide our minds. So fill our imaginations. So control our wills that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you. And then use us, we pray you, as you will. And always to your glory and the welfare of your people through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, isn't that beautiful? So, another ancient practice that you can do, we're going to jump into, is the Christian calendar. Do you know that New Year begins for us December 1st? I know you think you're more American than Christian, but that's why we're here to cast that out of you. I mean, I don't want to cast American. I love being American. Uh, but I'm saying, you're a Christian first. The calendar of the New Year starts for us in Advent. It's the expectation of Jesus coming. We step into the old story and we try to let the text and impact us about how the Jews were longing for Messiah. And then somewhere in that journey of Advent, we flip it and say, we're, he's coming again. Right? I mean, it may be a long time, but he's coming again. For some of us, he's coming sooner. I mean, I, I bought into that. I tell people, I say, you know, Jesus, you know, anyway, never mind. The point is the Advent, Christmas tide, Epiphany, Lent, Google this stuff, Easter tide, Pentecost, common time. These are all beautiful things that help us to experience and, and jump into this kind of larger Christian life. I grew up on some of this stuff and it was all dead to me. But it dawned on me that maybe I was the dead one. And I found out that there are gold in, there's gold in the hills. Which brings us to the Haggai verse, which I was going to intend on bringing something from the lectionary, just so that I was appropriate. And in that text, I just want to read you what he says about this one verse in Haggai 3, 2, 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? And it is to say that there's some parts of our spirituality that don't seem very vavoom, vavoom. They seem a little on the onset a dry. Not very glorious, but don't be tricked. Sometimes that's the place where God can grow in you the strongest. When I, there was a story that happened to me 15 years ago where I felt the Spirit said to me, and it was from a text in, in, in Kings, where Elijah is off a huge victory. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice. The prophets of Baals are humiliated and killed. And Elijah standing there, and he's depressed after that for whatever reason. And God speaks to him, and he says, go in front of the cave, I'm going to come to you. He stands in front of the cave, and this huge, tornadic wind comes by. And the text says God wasn't in the wind. And then this huge earthquake shakes all around him. Rocks are falling. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then this fire blasts all around Elijah. But God wasn't in the fire. He was a couple days before. But not here. God wasn't in this amazing, grab your attention, miracles, power way. 
And then it says, there came a gentle, quiet whisper, easily missed. And God was there. Some of these things, like an Advent, like some of the liturgy that we do, it may seem very like, ain't what I wanted to be, you know. But you might be surprised. And the Spirit spoke to me 15 years ago, said, I want you to help people reimagine where I rest. I didn't realize it would be like pulling out teeth. You guys are wonderful. All right, last thing to mention before I stop is one of the ways to stay spiritual fresh is getting into the stream of justice, making sure that people that don't have power, that don't have strength, that don't have money, that are somehow put down because of their because of their race, because of their sex, sex, their gender, because of whatever, that somehow they're on the, 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 back, the, the lower side of being accepted. They're too old. They're too sick. All these ways in which we discount people, that people in our culture just don't want anything to do with some people. You, you ask somebody, one of the things that have always surprised me when people say sometimes when they've had cancer, that the minute other people know they have cancer, people stop touching them. People don't want to move toward pain. We should be the ones that move toward pain. I, I think so. You remember this story. I'll just say it real briefly. But this guy back in the 80s when he had AIDS, I didn't know he had AIDS. I, and this was when everybody thought, I, it's hard if he didn't live at this time, to understand the fear that was in the culture. See, you young uh, folks know things that older people don't know. But don't be confused. We know a lot more stuff than you know. <laughs> you poor, unfortunate souls. The fear, some of you remember, that was in the culture. You couldn't, you were afraid to even, it might be airborne. You, 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 it might be through touch, whatever. So, so here I am in the heat of that. No understanding. The, the, the culture was just in a rage. I'm at a church and this guy came up to me and he said, he looked a little sickly. He came up to me and he said, Ed, he said, I've heard you preach here. It was in St. Louis and I, this church, a large church that I used to preach at. And he said, I just am so helped by you. And he said, would you pray for me? I'm sick. And my first impression was to move toward him and I grabbed his hand. And then um, I, I put, when I grabbed his hand and leaned toward him, he said, I've just been diagnosed with AIDS. Now everything in me wanted to do this. Not only was it that, but the only community that had that was the A community. And there wasn't much understanding of that among straight people, even knowing what's going on in their thinking. And so I'm thinking, here's what I did. When that happened, I, I reached up. As soon as you told me he had AIDS, I reached up and I grabbed him by the neck and I pulled his face to mine. And I kid you not, part of me is yelling, well, there you go. You're going to die now. <laughs> Gail is going to be very mad at you for doing this. I'm not kidding you. This is going to, but in my heart, I thought, this is worth dying for. And I hugged him, put his face on mine. Then another part of me said, no, he's going to think you're attracted to him. <laughs> you know, your mind is a, is a horrible place. <laughs> and, and I pulled him there, and I prayed, and he began to weep. And I'm thinking, oh, great, now his tears are getting up. You know, I'm just telling you all that stuff that goes on. And I prayed until I was done praying. And I let go. But you know what? I felt 
Jesus on me like I've never felt or as amazing as I've ever felt. Why? Because you know where Jesus says, you want to be close to Jesus? Move to the people that are in pain. Those that are losing, those that are on the underside of power. Be willing to give yourself. You know, the church used to be the ones that when the plagues would hit, the doctors would flee to the countryside. And all the rich people would flee to the country. And you know what the church did? They stayed in the city where the people were sick. And a lot of the church died caring for them. And, but they buried them and they loved them and they cared for them. Why? This is what we do. This is who we are. You want to stay close to Jesus? It isn't just about you praying more or reading the Bible more.